Welcome to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. I'm Blaze Bryant, facebook.com slash shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. Same with Twitter and my website, which has all the podcasts and everything on it, blazinshows.com. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as we have a couple of really topical disability items in the news. Of course, the Oscars with Crip Camp and uh, the Disability Rights Hall of Fame, which is happening on Thursday, May 6th at 6 o'clock. Joining me is one of the people that has been quite involved with the planning of it, and that is Denise Donoto, who was on episode one. Denise, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Thanks for asking me to come back. Absolutely. So as I just said a second ago, let's talk about the Disability Rights Hall of Fame. This is the third one that has been happening. It was supposed to be the fourth, but there was this thing called a pandemic that got in the way of last year's. And this one is being held on the very platform we are doing this, which is called Zoom, right? Absolutely. You know, the Disability Rights Hall of Fame recognizes people who have made lifelong achievements uh, that have had a positive impact on people with disabilities in society. And these accomplishments could um, include like uh, improving public access to programs or services or um, uh, promoting new knowledge or concepts, um, eliminating barriers, improving public policy. Uh, And this is the third year that we're going to gather and celebrate these people. Uh, We were together in person for the first two years and because of the pandemic, we are going to have a virtual event this year so we can give everyone their due recognition and still gather, but do it safely. Yeah, and if I'm remembering right, the inductees this year, which are Bob Gumpson, who was a long time with Access VR, which helps people with disabilities get jobs. Jim Weissman with United Spinal. The now late Edith Prentice, who was a tremendous advocate and activist down in New York City. Melvin Tansman, who I believe retired from an independent living center. And Sue Shear. All of these people were inducted last year, but obviously because there was no ceremony. That's carrying over to this year, right? Right. So it's the 2020... 2021 New York State Disability Rights Hall of Fame. And some of the members of the inaugural class uh, will be around to help us celebrate the occasion. I uh, am fortunate that I'm honored to be asked to emcee the event. And Cliff Perez, who was a member of that inaugural class, will be helping uh, with the event as well. And we have some videos from the inductees or their peers, it will be a great night where we gather to promote disability rights and to recognize the people who have paved the way for individuals like you and I to make a difference in our committee in our communities, rather. Absolutely. Well, I know one thing: if you and Cliff are involved in the event, it's not going to be a dull moment at all. <laughs> well, I hope not. You know, but it's. You know, we laugh about it, but it is for a really good cause. Absolutely. Because proceeds from the event go to help sustain the Pat Figueroa Young Adult Scholarships, 
And these are scholarships which are given to young emerging disability rights leaders to help them grow in their advocacy and education so that they can become stronger advocates and be the next wave of disability rights advocates that are going to make change in our communities. Yeah, the late Pat Figueroa, who was inducted into the inaugural class posthumously, his wife Denise, not only spoke on his behalf, but a year later spoke on her behalf. And one of the great moments from that ceremony, which was a really kind of somber one because there was a lot of stuff that was happening in the disability world that was quite negative. I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember Denise's grandson uh, grabbing one of the microphones after the ceremony was over? And his voice just was loud in the yeah. room. It was great. <laughs> it was what everybody needed to, to smile. And, you know, that's the next generation is why we do this event. So that we... You know, I'm, I'm the beneficiary of people like Denise and Pat and Cliff, uh, Edith, the people who came before me who fought for civil rights. You know, we talk about disability rights being separate rights, but disability rights are civil rights. And the people who fought for the Americans with Disabilities Act, the people that fought for uh, the 504 Act, uh, the people that were featured in the movie Crip Camp, who caused the sit-in and took over federal buildings and federal offices demanding equality and access. They paved the way for people like you and I to expect the rights that we have now and to be granted access to public education, to housing, to transportation, to employment protections. We owe a debt of gratitude to them. So being able to participate in this event is just one way for me to be able to say thank you while still providing a way for the future generation to have what they need to learn and to grow and to push our efforts forward. Absolutely. And for full disclosure, I will be doing the applause track for the uh, Disability Rights Hall of Fame. And one of the reasons I reached out to you about it, about doing it, is because I really feel that it is important to actually have that effect where it does kind of semi-simulate what it would be like in that in-person setting because these are people that are being inducted that frankly need to be applauded for their efforts. Absolutely. And look, we all know that the past year has been very difficult in the disability community. Our community has been hit by COVID in high percentages. We are mourning the loss. You know, our own class this year, uh, my friend Edith, who unfortunately passed away, uh, she knew she was going to be inducted uh, before she died. So I'm very glad that she knew of that respect and, and that adulation from her peers. Um, but you know, she taught me as an advocate how to approach people and not to back down when questioned and how to be a fear of a, a a fearless independent for everyone, uh, not just people who looked a certain way or who fit one mold of disability. You know, there is no right way to be disabled. And, and advocating for everyone is how we gain equality for everyone. Absolutely. Denise Donato joining me. She's been a part of the planning committee for the New York State Independent Living Council's Disability Rights 
Hall of Fame ceremony happening on Thursday, May 6th at 6 o'clock. I'm guessing you know all of these people that are being inducted pretty well. Uh, So, story time. I know you've told me, uh, so we'll we'll start with Edith, who you were just uh, talking about. If there was one story that sticks out in your head about each of these people, uh, we'll, we'll start with Edith and take it from there. Well, you know, funny, I don't know everyone, even though you might think that I do. Uh, I certainly know all of these people <laughs> from their work, sure. uh, but I'm only personal friends with Bob Gumson and Edith. Uh, I have not had the pleasure. I, I know Mel. I know Jim Wiseman. I know Susan, but I, I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a personal friend with each of them. Uh, but I know that Edith and I joined the Independent Living Council at the same time, and we would often be waiting for transportation home from meetings. And when I would say, oh, you know, my boss is coming and she would say, oh, let's call and shake things up. Never be afraid to call and shake things up, Denise. And <laughs> and I can, and of course, Edith did that. She was never afraid to call and shake things up. And you knew if Edith showed up, she was going to bring her A game no matter what. And she knew her stuff. She knew every policy. She knew what the rules and regulations were. She knew who was responsible for what, and she'd done her homework. And she taught me how important it was to demand that other people were held to the same level of accountability. And and Bob, I've had the good fortune to get to know. Uh, Bob is working on his memoir, and, and I'm a writer as well, and we're actually in the same writing group. So it's been great to hear his stories and to read his work um, as he works on this. and and hear how he navigated working in the government and responding to the government while still responding to the disability community and and what other advocates and activists were expecting from a government agency. And, and he talks about, you know, some of his experiences at going to school and uh, being around other people in college and, you know, Disability culture is oftentimes not, oh, it's not always relatable by other people who are not disabled. If you haven't had that experience, sometimes they may not believe you when you say you have experienced something, but Bob, whenever I say anything, he always believes me. And he's always like, yes, this is exactly what happens. And, and other people may be saying, really? And Bob is saying, yes, exactly, that's it. He's just such a great validator for anything that that I share in that group. Absolutely, and I know Bob as well. And really, there are very few people, if any, that could pull off the balancing act of working for the government yet responding to the disability community the way he did. Oh, well, we all know that I don't have the tact for that. So... (laughs) And, Good for him because yeah. I, I, I have that unfortunate habit of sticking my foot in my mouth too often for me to be in that role. Well, and there's a reason why I'm sitting on this side of the microphone because I sure as heck don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it, it has nothing to do with listening to your professional advice. I promise. <laughs> well, you know, Susan, Mel, James, 
they've all made great strides in including people with disabilities in the community and fighting for equal access to transportation, healthcare, independent living services, you know, United Spinal, what used to be the Eastern Paralyzed Veterans Association, uh, would not be where it is today without Jim Wiseman. No question. And, uh, you know, we would not have access, Accessoride, the New York City paratransit system, uh, without Susan Shear, that system would not be what it is today. And yes, we pick on it, we rag on paratransit for not being equal to regular transit, but just imagine what life would be like if we didn't even have that. And we have a ways to go for full equality, but the work of these individuals can't be diminished at all, even though we still have more to go. Yeah, I mean, because this is work that they were doing way back in the 70s. Way back. Be careful there, please. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a, th- a, a thing, a, a statement of relativity on my on my part, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, the, the the point that I'm underscoring is that this was work that has been going on for 40, 50 years. Absolutely. Well, you know, disability isn't new. Right. Of uh, course. Disability has been a part of the human condition for as long as we have had humans living in communities. So uh, how we as a society have responded to it may be a little different now, but disability has always been a part of who we are. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting how you were talking about before how disability culture isn't really relatable if you're non-disabled. And yet a fifth of us are people with disabilities. So it really is kind of incredible that there is such a divide between four-fifths of the population and one-fifth. And and I don't know that I maybe phrased that correctly. It's not necessarily that it's relatable, but oftentimes it's not even considered. So many times what you and I might take for granted in our lives is just happening everyday events. They're not even considered by people who are non-disabled because they haven't had to. And many of my friends have said that before that, you know, they never used to notice where the curb cuts were before they started going out places with me. They never used to notice if people were parked in in the accessible aisles next to the disabled parking spaces Mm -hmm. until they started going places with me. They never noticed if the bathroom had a lowered sink or had truly accessible toilet paper dispensers or paper towel dispensers until they started going out with me. You know, I will admit that I never noticed speakers not providing audio descriptions during a presentation until I started going to presentations with you and realized I would need to provide that for you because the speaker wasn't providing it. Yeah. I mean, for full disclosure, Denise and I, we, we work together and, uh, you know, it's, and and it's, it's been great. Uh, and you, I always have felt that you've been really good about, you know, providing the description and whatnot. You're one of the few people that, I haven't really had to do a heck of a lot of education on in that sense. Well, thank you. That makes me feel really good. I I just have tried to do my own work to figure out what it is that would be best helpful. And I'm not afraid to ask questions. And I know that if I come to you and say, hey, I'm doing this. Is this what you need? Or this is what I'm planning to do. 
would this be what you need? And I know that you'll be honest and tell me in a way that will only help me do a better job in the future. Because you know that I'm asking you, not because I'm nosy, but because I want to do a good job in providing you with an accommodation that's going to be most helpful. Yeah, it's it's a matter of being proactive versus reactive at the at the end of the day. And it's such an important thing that just is done far less frequently than it should. Speaking of being proactive versus reactive, as uh, I should say before we move on to, you know, Oscars related stuff, uh, tickets for the uh, virtual NYSILK event are just 15 bucks, if I'm remembering correctly, as I'm just kind of whimming this off the top of my head. I think that's right, isn't it? 15? You're right. NYSILK.org, N Y S I L C. .org. And have there been any conversations about making this some sort of a hybrid event in the future so there is greater access to be able to see the disability rights pioneers be applauded for the work that they've done and continue to do? We have talked about it, but honestly, I think all of us want to get through this one first. And then we can start thinking about next year. So we have talked about it, but we have not done much other than say, hey, we should talk about this after this year's. Gotcha. Well, you you know me and my big picture thinking. I I think way too far down the road for my own gosh darn good. Let's face it. Uh, There is a lot of debate right now in the disability community as it relates to the Oscars. Not so much in the fact that there is a universal agreement that Crip Camp should have been uh, should have won best documentary because it's actual disabled people and the disability rights movement and those stories. But the whole thing about ramps leading up to the stage, I've seen a lot of stuff where people are <laughs> acknowledging they that had a ramp last night, and the fact that they had a ramp. And that we all noticed it and we all tweeted about it last night. I mean, that was the first thing I noticed. The first thing I noticed when I turned on the Oscars last night. Oh my God, there's a ramp. (laughs) So you were thinking that they were going to win simply because there was a ramp there. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, they actually built a stage with a ramp. This must mean that we have a good shot at actually having a person who needs the ramp get up on stage. Yes, yes. And, and, and wouldn't that be lovely if every Oscars, if every award event going forward had ramps leading to the stage so we could have access and inclusion? I mean, Ali Stroker wasn't able to get on stage when the cast won the Tony Award for Oklahoma. She couldn't get up on stage with the rest of her company because there wasn't access. Right. That's right. I mean, that was two years ago, which is hard to believe that was two years ago. My God. Right. Right. I mean, she had to wait on stage for the category where she was nominated individually so that if she won, she would be up on stage. We should have ramps and stages, fully accessible stages at every award show moving forward. Access should not be an afterthought. It should be included from the very beginning so that when we see a ramp, we don't automatically think, oh, the people with disabilities are going to win 
and then get really upset when they don't win. It should just always be an option because what happens if somebody breaks their leg or, you know, those women in those long dresses trying to walk up steps? Yeah. I mean, I've never walked in a long dress, so. Me I either. I say about that, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't even want to see myself walking in a, in a long dress anyhow. I mean, let alone a dress. I mean, well, but even more important, if Hollywood directors would stop casting non-disabled actors and actresses as disabled characters. I mean, many able-bodied or non-disabled actors have won Oscars for simulating disabilities. Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who Daniel else? Daniel Day-Lewis, Colin Firth, Tom Hanks. And these are wonderful actors. They're great actors. But why does it have to be a non-disabled actor portraying a disabled character when there are many qualified disabled actors and actresses that could play those roles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you, you could make the case that it, I mean... Look, I mean, two things as we were as I was kind of alluding to the debate of, okay, is the fact that there is a ramp on stage last night at the Oscars, is that a sign of progress or is it not? And then on that other side is, I mean, with the with respect to the non-disabled actors playing disabled actors, I mean, doesn't that kind of take away from the actual film along with the quality of their acting. Well, you know, it, it used to be that people would appear in black, white people would appear in blackface. And that was acceptable. That's not acceptable anymore. And I am hopeful that at some point in time in the future, people, non-disabled actors and actresses cripping up to play disabled characters will also be viewed as offensive and in poor taste. I hope that we get to that point. I'm just surprised that we're not there yet. You know, with all, all this other progressive stuff that's been happening, all well and good, by the way. I'm just surprised that we aren't there yet. Well, I think that it it goes to what society holds as the value of disabled lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I saw some post last night saying, well, so we all knew that it, you know, a disabled octopus had a higher life value than disabled people. And I don't know that I'm going that far, but I saw people saying things like that last night. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's hard to, when, non, when disabled people feel that they have to battle for the right to live their lives in the community, we know that our lives are not viewed with the same respect and dignity as non-disabled people. And also, so we need to keep working on the narrative. These were great first steps. I don't want to say, I don't want to be at so negative. I, I appreciate the fact that we're celebrating this moment. However, we still have a long way to go. Yeah, I mean... We need to continue to listen to the voices of multiply marginalized people. We need to push black and brown women 
We need to push for inclusion of trans voices, you know, trans disabled actors and actresses, and continue to try and have diversity and inclusion in stories told by Hollywood. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, because that's the only way that this needle is going to move. And I mean, I'll, I guess I'll take the, you know, the negativity one step further. And maybe it's not negativity. Maybe it's just kind of my thinking of, okay, the Americans with Disabilities Act has been around since 1990. Why has it taken 31 freaking years to get a ramp on the stage? Maybe that's just, and I don't want that to come across as negatively. I tend to be someone who is kind of a realist, and I really, frankly, see no point in celebrating the fact that there's a ramp on the stage. Well, it took it took this long to get there. I, you know, I would just encourage everyone to watch the movie if you hadn't had a chance to see Crip Camp yet, the movie that we're talking about. It's a great movie. Um, it talks about the disability rights movement, you know, tells our history. And uh, it, it's a story that needs to be told. I know that my sister watched it and said, I tried to watch it and I had to stop because I kept crying because I knew this was your story too, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of you and your friends. And, and I have to wait till I can see with you, um, you know, so we can watch it together. And it, it really touches home for me, especially as someone who went to summer camp with other disabled kids for eight years in a row, made some of my best friends in summer camp, learned what it meant to have peers that were disabled at summer camp and, and learn how to advocate and, and tell other people's stories too at summer camp. So it really, it, it spoke to me and I absolutely love the movie and I'm, I'm thrilled that people are talking about it and watching it. And I would encourage everybody to watch it if you haven't had a chance to see it. Absolutely. It's one of those movies. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. And like you, having got, been a part of uh, many uh, sports camps and summer camps, you know, for people with disabilities, brought back all those really awesome memories, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, swimming a mile in the pool or, uh, you know, getting in trouble for doing some sort of stupid thing. Uh, it really just <laughs> an incredible that never movie. Happened to me. Did that happen to you? <laughs> oh, it happened to me. Happened to me many times. And, because we do have to end it here because time is ticking away on us, as it always seems to do when we talk, Denise. Uh, maybe at some point soon, when it is actually summer, we'll get into summer camp stories. How about that? That sounds great. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Well, Denise Donato, as always, thanks again for uh, being on the show. NYSILC.org. Go get your Disability Rights Hall of Fame tickets. Thanks, Denise. Thanks, Blaze. Coming up next week, we'll have some clips from the American Association of People with Disabilities 2021 Leadership Awards Gala and the Crip Camp Oscars nomination on the Blaze and Access show. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash blazin shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. 
on Twitter at Blazing Shows or email me at blazingshows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and at my website, blazingshows.com. To quote the late Christopher Reeve, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Take care of yourself and we'll talk again next week. On Blaze and Access, I'm Blaze Bryant.